members of the group and other anti-Trump protesters were seen. You did it. You've been dealing with the feds. You did it. You've now, been dealing with law enforcement. They, you did it. Because our government is tearing apart their families, Madam Speaker. Politics are often contentious. Excuse me, you don't get to interrupt me on this time. And we're living in an age of unparalleled polarization and anger. You are deceiving all the same Republicans who voted for six months Tear them up. It seems our culture is fraying at the edges, including the church in America. Get a grip and learn how to govern the country. Is that something real to happen? Supporters and opponents of Donald Trump. The gentleman and the gentleman will observe regular order. The gentleman will observe regular order. How can we be used for the kingdom to bring understanding and peace to our nation? How can we learn peace for ourselves? Welcome! We're so glad that you're here to join us for this last Q&A of our House Divided series, our last uh, service at all in this series. So I am joined by our distinguished panelists, Paul Eddy, one of our teaching pastors, Cedric Baker, he's one of our worship volunteers, and he works in the St. Paul Public Schools, and Kevin Callahan, who is one of our discipleship pastors. And I'm Emily, I am on the communications team at Woodland. So, uh, this has been quite the series, quite the time in our lives. So I wanna ask y'all, just to start off, what's a takeaway that you've had from these past five weeks? What's something that stood out? What are you gonna leave with? Um, Paul, if you wanna start. Sure, sure. Uh, so, many, so many nuggets uh, from this series. Uh, I, I think probably <laughs> The one that's challenged me the most, uh, and it's a thread that really ran through Greg's, Greg's uh, series, was the concept that, that Jesus, <laughs> Jesus has a kingdom, and that isn't just uh, sort of a cliche or, or sort of some, some ancient biblical language. It's, it's the center of, of what Jesus brought to this world. He set up an alternative nation, an alternative country, a kingdom, and we are ambassadors. That theme of ambassadorship mm -hmm. that, that ran through Greg's really, really challenged me. Um, it, it's interesting. The, the ways Jesus both taught and modeled this, uh, some of the things Greg mentioned, uh, that, that to, to kind of make his point, that he was really setting up an alternative kingdom, he chose among his 12 two disciples who were absolutely polarized in their own Jewish politics, right? Matthew the tax collector who would have been the sort of cultural conservative of the day supporting the Roman establishment. And then Simon the Zealot. Zealots were like the folks who had the ambition to kill uh, all the collaborators of Rome. And so this is about as intense a political divide as you can imagine. And Jesus invites them into his kingdom and never once comments on the particular politics, but what he does instead is he casts a vision of a kingdom politics. And I think that's one thing I, that, you know, we had a number of questions come in uh, over the, the weeks saying, boy, you, you guys are kind of getting political. I <laughs> thought Woodland Hills wasn't political. But from, from the day of the Cross and the Sword series back in 2004, when Greg really began to challenge us first on a kingdom approach to this, he reminded us that it's not anti-politics, it's kingdom politics. It's Jesus has his own politics, his own nation. And so we're, we're being called to make Jesus and his kingdom and his politics mm -hmm. the highest allegiance in our life. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's really been, been challenging uh, to me. And uh, the, 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 the challenge here, of course, is that we're also citizens of whatever earthly nation we, we live in. And that becomes now the question, how do we do, in, in our case here, American citizenship in the light of the fact that we are also kingdom citizens? Um, Greg mentioned that the Apostle Paul used his Roman citizenship to advance the kingdom. And I think that's what we're invited to do uh, at this time, particularly in this election season. How do each of us, as we come before God, ask God, Lord, with the privileges and blessings of in our case, American citizenship, how do we use those, those privileges and those blessings to more profoundly further Jesus, your kingdom, and the absolutely essential elements of self-sacrificial agape love, 
and humility and all the things that, that we're, we've touched on in this series. So I think that's, that's been my biggest takeaway. Absolutely, our role as ambassadors. Uh, Kevin, what about you? Yeah, um, it's been a great series, and I'd just like to kind of jump off of what Paul just shared, where talking about people who are concerned about maybe that we're getting political, but it's not that we're getting political, it's how we do that, in my opinion, and in a way that's a Jesus-looking and unique way. I really love what you said, Paul, about us being ambassadors and remembering our citizenship above and living that out here. But politics in our day and age has a dirty connotation, it's like a dirty word, because it's become about power blocks competing for power over and control. Um, but the, the roots of the word polis, I think I shared this a little bit last week, the Greek city-state was a, a place where it was a community coming together, working together, not fighting against each other, working together to solve common problems that were part of their common humanity. And so I feel like that's the kind of politics we ought to be about. And that's the kind of perspective we as Jesus followers should bring to politics. The, the title of this series has been A House Divided. And Jesus said this, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And I'm not as worried about the destiny of America as a nation as I am about the identity and the unity of the church in this moment. We have the ability to be unified um, as Jesus' people and citizens of that other kingdom in the midst of holding different views politically, different perspectives on how do we solve problems. And I feel like one of the takeaways for me from this sermon series was the reminder for us as Jesus followers to, it's okay to have our differing views on the level of policy and opinion, um, and those are all rooted in deeper values and convictions about what's true, what's right, etc. But none of us has the full picture. None of us knows everything that Jesus knows. And so we should have the humility to be able to say, well, let me understand what your view is, here's mine, and then unite on that deeper level of our common humanity. I think about you know, how Jesus left us with this final command. It was the new commandment, one new commandment. He, he summed everything up after three years of ministry uh, in something that sounds pretty simple. It's hard to live it out, but the new commandment, love each other, his followers. We are to love each other as Jesus loved us. And Jesus didn't love people based on their political views. He didn't love them more or less based on their agreement or disagreement with his truth. Remember now, Jesus was the only human being who had a 100% accurate view of the world, a 100% uh, politics, correct politics, in terms of what really is true and right and just. So Jesus was the only one, but he didn't base his love for people or his willingness to associate with people uh, based on how closely they aligned with his completely correct view. He stooped to our level and met us where we we're at. And I think Second Corinthians 5 has also come to my mind in this uh, series as well as this season, where one of the ways Jesus loved was, it says he, he died for all, so he died for everybody. People across every spectrum, every, every view, every kind of person, it could be a Trump and a Biden, it could be a Hitler or a Mother Teresa, he died for all because he valued everybody equally. And then Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, since he did that, he was not just looking at or treating people on the level of their behaviors or their views or their politics. Not that those didn't matter at all, but he looked at everybody at a much deeper level of their shared value and worth as humans, their common humanity. And so 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this thing and it challenges us as the church. Um, we are to no longer look at and evaluate people from a, simply a human standpoint. Um, we are to value them based on their true essence, uh, the deepest essence, which is how Jesus loves us. So that's, that's my strongest takeaway. It's hard to do that in this climate, especially when we're bombarded with the polar pol polemics from both sides. But we, this is our moment, church. This is our moment, Amen. followers of Jesus. Um, not to lay aside our convictions but to unite around something deeper and something higher, the deeper shared humanity and the higher allegiance to Jesus. It's mm. a very fitting answer from a therapist. <laughs> Cedric, what about you? Um, for me, Emily, I have had an opportunity to just think through the last few sermons that we've had and also thinking about, um, in particular, the election that's coming up, the political discourse that we've really, our country has been engaged in, um, thinking about some of the sermons such as what Greg brought up on uh, social media and how that has been used as a tool um, to further try to divide us um, as a nation, as a country, or as people. 
Um, but I've also had a time to really think through over the last few months in some of the sermons that we've been hearing about racial injustice and race reconciliation. And for a lot of us, there have been so many items and nuggets and information that has come out of those sermons and these messages of things that we need to do, things that we need to change, um, things that we need to stop doing, things that we need to do more of. Um, and if you're not careful, you can almost be overwhelmed by the amount of things that we need to do to connect ourselves to be that ambassador that Paul was talking about um, for the kingdom of God. And I want us all to remember that this is a journey. It is a process. Um, the scripture that comes to me is Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, where it says to everything there is a season. And for me, um, one of the things that it means is that everything has its time and that God isn't asking us to completely do everything that we've heard over these last few months and have it all done tomorrow. That it is a process and we need to understand and be aware that it's a process. On this journey, we will have encouraging times and we will also have challenging times. I've been challenged during these last few weeks and months of things that I need to do differently, um, being able to connect with those that um, see political views differently than I do, um, being able to stand out and talk about oppression in a way that I may not have before. Um, but there are also times on this journey that I need to understand that I need to be encouraged. I may need to step back and receive that love, that help, that support that's needed because everybody is on different stages of this journey. Um, I think of it more as a, um, not as a sprint, but as a marathon. I was thinking about um, my wife. She has run uh, many marathons in the past, and she doesn't just say, hey, I want to run this race, this marathon, and then the next day do it. She trains for it. There's a process. And in that training, um, she has ups and downs. There may be times where she's feeling like she's on top of the world on a run. And then the next day, um, she's hurting at times. And so she's adjusting to it in her body and she's trying to figure out what's going on. And I think that's the same with us. God is interested in the, our journey. He's interested in our processing of this pathway just as much as he's interested in our final destination. And I think a lot of times we, um, as people of God, are so concerned about getting to the final destination that we take for granted our journey. And God is interested in our journey. He understands that you may take three steps forward and then at one point take four steps back. The beauty of the journey is this is where the learning, the maturity, the development, the growth comes. I love being on this journey. It is hard. It is tough. I will be challenged. I may get hurt. But when it's all said and done, God is with me in this. He's here with you. He's with us. And he's interested on this. And we don't have to have everything figured out tomorrow. But he wants us to still be moving forward. There are some non-negotiables in the kingdom. Loving everyone, that's a non-negotiable. Um, making sure that we treat others as we would like to be treated, that's a non-negotiable. Um, but there are also some times where it's hard to do. And because it is hard and because it is a process, we need to give ourselves grace and give others grace as we kind of continue on the journey. So I kind of got that during these last few weeks. Well, how do you all feel about helping people on their journey by answering a few questions? Yeah. <laughs> Let's start off with an easy one here, right? right? <laughs> How do I put these ideas into action when I see the divide as not about different political ideologies, but different morals? If nothing Trump has done is a deal breaker, and if someone not only looks away, but votes to keep him in office, we don't share close to the same morals. What do I do? Easy one. <laughs> you guys can fight over who takes that. <laughs> what comes to mind is something you said about the finding that the basis of the common thing you mentioned this last week mm -hmm. uh, last week as well as alluding it to, to it today that the heart of, of everyone are these human convictions and, and values and desires that, that bottom line all of us share some really fundamental things I don't know if that we want to pick up on that but I really appreciate what you said about this last week in that, that line yeah you know I, I'm not going to say like who I like more or like less in, in this uh, election process. But um, the main question is, well, does Jesus like someone more or less? Does he love someone more or less? Does he, is he more 
Does he mm. see somebody as more good or more bad or more guilty or more? We can't know that. We just can't know that. If we think that's true, we're, it's because we're basing it on very limited knowledge and our preference of the various criteria of morality mm. or goodness or whatever. And so we can't possibly know that. So that's why I think we need to be humble and we need to say, let's not just evaluate. We're, as I said, Second Corinthians 5, we are to no longer, we are to stop evaluating people based on human points of view. Instead, let's love everybody and let's sort through these issues. They're really tricky. They're, they're very difficult. Let's try to understand. So, for example, all the different issues, gun control, immigration, abortion, taxes, large government, small government. There's all kinds of issues out there. Um, can we find, we're not going to find common ground on every single exact issue, but we can find commonness across the issues. Mm -hmm. Like I would bet, I don't think I've ever met a human being who doesn't value the sanctity of human life. I don't think I've met a human that would say, no, I don't value the sanctity of human life. Well, um, that plays out differently. For some people, it plays out in this set of views and, and policies, and for others, this set of views and policies. But I feel like we can all come to that place and say, well, I, yeah, we agree in the value of human life, the, the dignity and respect due to everyone. But then how that plays out, it might, we might end up in different places politically, but that's a place we can unite. And I feel like it's important for us to give others the benefit of the doubt and yeah. say, well, I don't think I'm more moral than you. I don't think I'm more right than you. Again, Jesus is the only one who could make those distinctions. He's the only one that could possibly know that. And I kind of tend to think that he doesn't see anybody as better or worse because he sees everything there is to see, including their prequel and their story and all the other things that make, may make them look or actually be worse than us um, according to some standards. But he sees all of that. And so I think we just need to lay that aside, try to find that common ground and it doesn't mean we're going to find this come on in the same position or that we should give up our convictions we don't jesus didn't give up his convictions by being in deep relationship and loving people equally so the, the only thing i'd like to add to that is i think the premise of that question we need to be careful about because it almost pits in saying that you need we are up here or during our Q&A that we will tell you who you need to vote for. Right. And we will not. I don't think that that is our role. Nope. And we need to be careful on saying that you must vote for this person or that person. I think that as people of God and going back to what Paul and um, actually what you really brought up around uh, being an ambassador, I'm concerned that um, we're missing the point of true, being a true ambassador because ultimately it doesn't matter who ends up being in office. I have my political views, I know others do as well, um, but because I'm not going to say that you must vote for this person or that person, I need to think about what can I do as a kingdom ambassador to still push forward the kingdom of God, no matter if it is Trump, Biden, or anyone else. And so we as people of God, we don't need to get sucked into the political back and forth on that this person is wrong, that person is wrong. If you vote for Trump and you really like Trump, you will find different reasons to say that's why and that's who you need to vote for. And yet there'll be some things that you disagree with him on. The same goes to Biden. If you vote for Biden because you agree with Biden, um, you like that and you'll move forward in that and that'll be your um, election choice. And yet there'll still be some things that you disagree with him on. Um, it is not an all or nothing in this. I think that as people of God, we should not take an all or nothing approach on anybody or anything except the word of God. And so if that is kind of our North Star, then we won't get sucked into who did you vote for, who didn't you vote for, um, that person is better and that person is worse. Even if you do have your political preferences, and I'm not saying don't, you, you vote for who you should vote for, you have your convictions, um, but ultimately your goal should be to be an ambassador and being a true ambassador means that it doesn't matter who is in office, I have a goal and I have something that I need to do here in this world and I'm going to carry that out no matter who's in office. Any thoughts you want to add on that, Paul? Any thoughts you want to add on that? Well, you know, I, both of you were talking. Um, I think one of the most difficult things for human beings to balance is strong conviction and a spirit of humility, right? Yeah. And it seems that if, if we're going to be humble about something, like we're saying, you know, love, you know honor people and, and be humble, it seems like we're saying don't hold strong conviction then. Yeah. 
And if we say, no, no, convictions are important, it seems, well, how can I do that and be humble about it? I, I believe this strongly, right? And yet Jesus modeled this amazing yes. ability to both be very strong in his convictions and yet with a love and humility for those that disagreed with him that was just stunning. Yeah. So it's possible. Our, our Lord modeled this seemingly impossible balance. Yeah. And I think that's what I hear in both your responses is, as ambassadors, we can have real, in fact, we're called to have strong kingdom convictions, and that will look a certain way, maybe at the polls, and as we um, are in dialogue with people, but how to do that in a way that also exudes Jesus' radical agape love and humility. It seems impossible to us, and yet our Lord did it and calls us to follow somehow. That, that seems to be the, the package that... Um, uh, there's a question that we have here that is fitting in really well with this, and I wonder, uh, maybe you could start us off with this, Kevin. It's, could you com comment on the idea of compromise? They go on to explain, maybe in two senses, the good kind of compromise that should happen between parties in government and why we don't seem to see much of it lately, but then also, how should we view the compromises we have to make when voting? I've never known a perfect candidate but are there certain qualities, values, or issues we should prioritize? It drives me crazy that Christians on the left and the right seem so certain about their logic. Yeah, that's so much of what we were just talking about, mm -hmm. that uncertainty factor and the lack of humility. But compromise, that word can evoke different feelings. On the one hand, we can think of it as sort of a dirty word where it means you're, you're wishy-washy. You're giving in and caving in on convictions or what have you. And I don't think any of us should do that. I don't think any of us, I think we should have strong convictions. As I mentioned, and you did, Paul, a minute ago, Jesus had strong convictions, but he was willing to not have to sound in on all those most of the time with human beings who were mostly at odds with his convictions, right? So he was able to meet with them. Um, and that's a form of compromise, right? That's, that's relationship. Relationship is inherently an issue of compromise because people are, not only are all people broken, um, which means we have to deal with each other as broken people. We're all limited, so none of us has all the right answers or the perfect view. And so compromise is just a natural part of relationship. If any of you have been married or had a roommate, you know that when you start to live that closely together, there's this actual healthy kind of compromise. It's not wishy-washy to say, I'm going to uh, settle for a little bit less than the way I'd have it in my home so that this other person can have a little bit of more and we can have this us-ness together. Well, that's a beautiful kind of compromise called love and mutual preference. And so I think that's a beautiful side of compromise. I often think about, you know, like Jesus, when he picked his disciples, let's, let's just kind of imagine he's picking his cabinet. He's the king and he's picking his cabinet. He didn't have any perfect people to choose from. <laughs> he had to compromise. So Peter and James and John and Thomas, every one of them we can look at and say, man, they had some big flaws. They were far from perfect. Jesus had to compromise, which means he had to settle for less than ideal and less than perfect, but he didn't give up ideals and he tried to help us all moving toward, move towards something better by deferring. So I think compromise, it can be a beautiful thing. It is essential to relationship. It's essential to healthy politics, this healthy tension of opposites where we can learn, learn from each other. Um, politics, as I said before, has become a battle, a power, a power play to grab power and to, it's literally power over. Each party wants power over the country, power over the other. Um, but where's the collaboration? Where's the healthy tension of differences? Every marriage needs to have that. So does our country. So we're, we're talking about how to navigate division here, but this is an interesting kind of theological question that came in. Um, maybe you can take this one, Paul. I read in the book of Luke that Jesus said to the disciples that he did not come to bring peace, but division. Just wondering how we fit that into this situation right now. <laughs> yeah, good question. Throw away that unity <laughs> stuff. Let's talk division. Good question. Next question, please. <laughs> what was Jesus saying there? This is an interesting text. Um, did, you, did you have an actual passage on it? Uh, no, just the book. You don't know that off the top of your head. Well, I, Matthew 10, he I, did he say Luke or no? I see Luke here. And Luke, okay. So it's probably in a couple of different, uh, of, the, of the maybe the Matthew and Luke at least. I know in the Matthew text, um, Matthew 10, 
What Jesus actually says there is, I don't think I came to bring peace, but rather a sword. (laughs) He actually used the word sword. In fact, some people have used that text to argue, hey, Jesus, yeah, I know he said love your neighbor, love your enemy, but he also said, you know, he came to bring a sword. This is where um, a very fundamental principle of biblical interpretation is so key, and that is always read the text in context. And we mean there both its historical context, but also its literary context, meaning, okay, so Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword or division. But what's like, what did he say just before that? And what did he say just after that? That's the context, right? And what he says just before that is he's talking about biological family and the importance of not letting biological family be more important than our kingdom family. And so within the context of what Jesus is talking about, it's pretty clear that he's calling his kingdom people to never allow biology or extended family to compromise our allegiance to his kingdom. In fact, he ends that that passage of Matthew by saying, uh, and so I'll end up uh, dividing mother and father, sister from brother, and at the end he says, but I'm even asking you to even lay your own life down to take up the cross, right? And so it's, it's it's a call to radical lack of compromise, back to the compromise question, when it comes to the kingdom, right? So I think what he's letting us know is in all of our relationships, although we're called to love and to bless and to do good, there will come times when our allegiance to the kingdom will cause us Mm -hmm. to have a rift in relationships, not because we want to, but simply because the kingdom's allegiance on our lives means we might have to choose between allegiance to family versus allegiance to the kingdom. Um, But let's remember the very same Jesus who said in this passage, I came not to bring peace but a sword, um, also said in John 14, for example, that uh, he said, and this is the last dialogue with his disciples before he goes to the cross, he says, uh, my peace I give you, uh, my peace I'm leaving with you. This is the same Jesus who Isaiah chapter 9 calls the Prince of Peace. So again, context is so important. In a certain sense, Jesus will cause division because of the allegiance of the kingdom. In another sense, he is the Prince of all peace and really the only source of peace. And so, um, yeah, interpreting scripture within its whole context is, is so crucial here. Which that idea makes sense in the context of a split allegiance between kingdom and and non-kingdom. But I think the question comes up, what do you do if there's a split, a division between two kingdom people? So so this question here, what do I do if I attend a church that isn't open to a different political point of view? They seem to think God is only for one political party and anyone who says otherwise is against God. I know this is wrong. I know why this is wrong, but I would like Mm -hmm. advice on how to approach and best love my church. So here we're not having division between non-kingdom and kingdom. We're having a split between... Yeah, so maybe we need a different passage then to talk about what if there's within the kingdom Do you know any off the top of your head? Uh, Well, I think I would go to 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14. These are two passages where Paul is actually talking about a very significant debate in the early church among Christians. And it's the question, um, is it okay? And it's it's a moral issue, actually. Uh, Can Christians eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? pagan idols. Huge division point in the early church. And it's so fascinating what Paul says here. He says, look, whatever your personal conviction is, hold on to that. Do not allow another sister or brother with a different perspective to cause you to do something that violates your conscience on that issue. See, Paul's talking, hold on to your conviction here, right? Uh, At the same time, he says, but realize other sisters and brothers might have a different conviction honor their conviction, maintain unity in the family of God. So basically, Paul takes a very significant moral divide in his culture, says you can totally have different convictions, honor those, listen to each other, but still remember, you're still family of God. You're still brothers and sisters. So I think that's a, it's a one, one place we find in Scripture where we're given a model of how that might, might look. I think that also another example would be the Jewish 
Gentile Christian divide over things like dietary restrictions and circumcision and Sabbath observance and such. And so there was a huge battle over that within the covenant people, the new Christian church, the newly formed church. And so again, we have this idea where we try to work out how, do, how can we be uh, all things to all to each other um, and rally around this higher cause. So it's not uniformity. Unity isn't uniformity on the behavioral level. It's, it's uniting and rallying around the higher thing. And we're going to make some compromises, if you will. So Paul says, I'll never eat meat again if it causes a brother to stumble, even though I have no problem with eating meat sacrificed to idols. But if my, where I'm at right now, my brothers and sisters do, I'm going to make the compromise to lay that thing aside, even though I know it's not wrong. I'm not going against my conscience. I know it's not a sin, but I'm not wanting to cause them to stumble, stumble and I'm not wanting to cause division or disunity. The only thing I would add in this, um, I completely agree with what both of you all said, is I also think that we need to give grace to for processing of things and, again, a journey. So um, I also think it was Paul that God dealt with Paul to say that you can do this, but he was like, no, Lord, I cannot. And it took him through dreams and different things to come to the conclusion of, oh, this is what it meant. So I, I also want to wanted to say to everyone and specifically to that person that um, you may end up believing one thing and really holding true on your convictions on that one thing. And then it may be where God is pulling you in a different direction. And over time, you see something a little bit different. So I don't want people to think that everything is just static, um, that it is a process. And at time, we're all growing and learning and that we still need to make sure that we give grace for people that may not be where that person is or or um, vice versa. Yeah, and on that question of, of what churches we go to and how do we interact with, with people of different beliefs, Tedrick, what, what do you think about the idea of, you know, we have the ability to, to choose our churches. And so Greg talked about how in social media we can silo ourselves up um, based on our preferences. Is there, do you think that there's a risk that we could do this within our, our church selection? And is that a negative impact on the bigger body? Yes, I think I think so. I really do. Um, so uh, just like as Greg has said, I must start by saying that um, we're not saying that our preferences are wrong. Right. So um, I grew up listening to gospel music, contemporary gospel music. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, it just gives me warmth in my soul. Right. And I did not grow up listening to other you know, music, but I like here at Woodland Hills, we have a blend of a lot of different genres of music, right? And so if I was picking a church that was totally based on only listening to contemporary gospel music, then I may not have ch uh, chosen Woodland Hills. But because of the diversity and eclectic nature of all of the things that we do here, I feel like I would have missed out on the gifts and talents of others that I have been truly blessed by. And so I had to learn and I had to grow and had to get kind of out of my box and thinking that, um, for the instance of music, gospel music was the only thing, you know, cooking. So I say that around church preferences in general, that we need to be careful. Yes, um, we may lend or tend to go towards a church that we really like um, how the pastor preaches or we really like that type of music, but it should not totally be based on that because what you end up doing is really getting into a silo of only listening and connecting with people that think like you and talk like you and was raised like you were and you miss out on the diversity of people which is kingdom. Diversity um, is all about the kingdom of God from every corner of the world, every genre of music, every lifestyle, way of choice, that that is the kingdom of God. God came for all, as what you said. So we need to be careful on when we are making church selections or things about the church where we're only siloing our approach to think about one thing on our preferences. A lot of our preferences are great. Um, it's great for convenience, but I get leery when we start to talk about church and you only going about your preferences because I really do believe that you'll miss out on a lot of things. Even your political preferences. Even your political preferences. Okay. <laughs> I agree. There's this one question that we've been getting in a lot of different forms. So I'll read this one example. What about when political views go against loving one's neighbor? Policies have real implications on lives, especially women, poor, people of color, and the underserved. 
Can a policy be evil? And if so, shouldn't Christians shun evil policies? That could be a hot button issue, but I think I'd have to say yes, a policy can be evil, and there are many policies that have been evil. Yep. Slavery, for example. Um, so there's some that are cut and dried like that that we should be standing up and speaking out against. Of course, how we do that needs to be in a Jesus way, right? Jesus was strong, and his challenge, his prophetic challenge of the, the political leadership of Israel of his day. But he was tender and respectful and caring towards individuals of that same group. So he had some Pharisees that were his usually secret disciples, and he was very respectful, caring, and loving. But as a group, he stood out very strong and challenged the group and the system. And I feel like we need to follow that example where it's clear the trick is, though, I think, is there are some issues that I think, like slavery, that is clear-cut. We should be very much against that racism. We should be anti-racist. There's other issues that aren't as clear, and then how do, how can, what level of sort of strong prophetic challenge should we now speak from? That's a trickier one. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't know how to answer that aspect of the question, but certainly there are clear issues and policies that I think are evil. Yeah, I was thinking of, of the, the wonderful conversation you had with Bill Doherty last week. Yeah. And I uh, just love that Bill brought out the three R's he talked about. And that first R was resistance, right? And when you think back through the Gospels, you know, again, we have this balance of Jesus between conviction and, and love and humility held together. And there's moments, there's even political moments when Jesus clearly speaks out in resistance against Herod. He calls him the fox. And, and uh, so um, I loved the, in your conversation with Bill last week that, that Bill is really able to emphasize that we're to, to be in, in, a, in a mode of wanting to repair relationships and to hold each other together, that doesn't mean that we don't resist evil policies, right? And uh, that, that's, that, that's part of the kingdom calling. The question is, how do you do that as an ambassador, right? right? I think, again, Greg mentioned once, and this, this, this helped really make it concrete for me when Greg said, like, really, a real ambassador, imagine the French ambassador to America, right? Now, if we really took that seriously, like, if we thought as Christians we were just as much a real ambassador as the French ambassador is to America, we'd have questions like this. One, in everything we're saying about American politics, how do we keep France, or in our case, the kingdom of God, as the most allegiance and the foremost thing of thought of our mind? But two, anything we say about American politics, we want it to come out of from the French ambassador, what would help France, or from our perspective, what would help the kingdom of God, right? And so there's going to be things where we have to speak in resistance, not because we're part of an American political position, but because that stands against kingdom principles and call to radically love others. And yet, the, back to your, the way we do it, Kevin, is just going to be different because that same kingdom that brings that conviction of resistance also brings the call to always seek yes. to love and repair relationships while we challenge them. That's, once again, that difficult, almost impossible balance that Jesus models and then that his spirit enables us to walk out together, I think is the... I think two examples come to mind. One is biblical and very, very ancient, the, the way that Moses approaches Pharaoh. So Moses is confronting a horrible injustice, an oppressive empire, enslaving people, and yet he never personally or morally attacks Pharaoh. Um, he just demands this, let my people go. This is wrong, it needs to stop. A more recent example, Martin Luther King, the civil rights movement where that movement was strongly coming against a clear cut wrong, mm -hmm. and, but doing it in a way that was not demeaning and denigrating to people. Um, it was uh, looking at the people who even were participating in the evil system as uh, in bondage and in slavery to that system itself and needing to be freed from it. So there's, Greg always talks about, if it's flesh and blood, it's not your enemy, and so therefore our words can't even be adversarial and demeaning. We need to see the real enemy for who the real enemy is and then help free everybody else from that power. Amen. So, yeah. so you're talking about how we are U.S. citizens, so we function under the U.S. government, those of us sitting up on this stage. And one of the things that we live under in our country is our constitution. 
And so a lot of times people will quote both the Bible and they'll quote the Constitution. And the Constitution, the U.S. government has a clear um, point and emphasis on keeping church and state separate. So this question says, how do we respect that separation while still living out our faith? And another question that would go along with that is, how does that fit with Anabaptist perspectives of separation of church and state? Um, I think I'll let one of these other guys handle the Anabaptist. But I I will start by saying and that's a really good question. I think sometimes, um and and I've been at this stage as well and just been thinking about a lot of the questions that have come in. Um I think some people are getting tripped up on the how mm-hmm. too. Um, Right now, people are wanting very clear-cut ways of this step, I do this next, I don't do that. And if you're looking for that, you may not be able to get that specific articulation of what you must and cannot and should do, um, because I think that that is going to be a part of your relationship with God and the Spirit of God working with you on what is uh, what makes sense and what works for you, um, how he's leading you in certain situations. And I'm concerned that um, being able to really talk about you must do this, you can't do this, you can do that, you cannot do that, starts to really get into like legalism, so to speak. And I don't think that that's what we're all looking for. We're, we we want to be free. We want to make sure that we hold the standard of God. But I think that like everything else, God gives us flexibility and our creativity to kind of walk it out. And I don't want to put people in a box that say that you must do X, Y, and Z. Um, Kevin, you brought up about some non-negotiables, right? Around the kingdom of God. And I get that. But some of the questions I think that, um, and, and concerns that people are having having is they want a clear-cut blueprint on what they must do and how they must do it. And I would just um, ask that person or those that are thinking that way to think a little bit more broadly about this and not think about what you must do and what step, because it doesn't give you the freedom and the creativity to hear the voice of God and to walk out some of these things in a very creative way. And I think that we may miss some of that in wanting um, specific guidelines that kind of, if we're not careful, pushes us over a little bit into legalism. I think that's really wise, Cedric, because I think that possibly it's a, a part of a reflection of how anxious this time is. And when people are feeling anxious, they're looking for certainty, and it's, it's uncertain. And so I think that a lot of the questions come out of that. Um, but I'd still be curious to hear perspectives on uh, Anabaptists and yeah. separation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, as Anabaptists, and the Anabaptist tradition, again, uh, arose in the uh, early 1500s as part of the Protestant Reformation. But the unique dimension of the Anabaptist part of the Reformation is it's the only group of, of reformers who to do the reform, to reform Europe did not partner with a particular city council or a particular nation state. They said, no, 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 we can't do that. And the reason they said that was, and they quoted Jesus here. Remember, Jesus stood before Pilate and he uttered these words that my kingdom is not of this world. Now what he meant by that, it, not that it doesn't have impact on the world or it doesn't have bearing on the world, but what he meant was we've got to keep Jesus saying, my kingdom is distinct from any particular earthly nation or kingdom. And honestly, in about the fourth century, fourth century, when, when Constantine, the Roman Empire, merged the church and the state as one, uh, those of us who are Anabaptists here at Woodland Hills look at that as one of the most tragic moments in human history. Because now Rome called itself a Christian empire, but it did all the things that empires do, like kill people and uh, create enemies everywhere it went and try to do power over. And so I think what we mean by separation of church and state, that doesn't mean that we as Christians don't bring our, our kingdom convictions to bear on how we are invited in America, let's say, to vote or, or to be part of the political process. It doesn't mean that. What it means is we don't compromise the kingdom by joining it to a particular party, at least we shouldn't, and simply become the, like, the religious clergy mm-hmm. to that, to that uh, really secular way of doing politics. I think so often in the last 1,700 years of church history, the church has been co-opted by whatever nation it says mm-hmm. it's, it's part of, and the nation uses the church to get its God to bless it, whatever it wants. 
not what God wants. And I think that's the real key dimension here is the separation is to keep the allegiance of the kingdom here and then our participation in whatever nation we're, that, that can be important. That can be a way we, we take kingdom principles and apply them, but we don't collapse those in, into one. Yeah, as you're talking, Paul, I'm thinking back historically to the situation that the early Anabaptists found themselves in. It was not, there were no democracies in Europe, so there wasn't the opportunity to participate in political process, um, community organization, voting, elections, all those kinds of things. There was no, that was not there. Um, what it was was, you know, monarchies and you know various power blocks that controlled everything, and people were just at the mercy of that. But the church was also at the mercy of that. So the church was shaped by the politics, and and endorsed it all too often, as you said. We're in a very different situation right now here in America, at least. We have the ability to say, well, we as the church shouldn't be dictating to. Uh, taking that papal sort of authority and sort of Holy Roman Empire that we're going to dictate to kings what we think should be done and, and the reverse is also not true where the church is going to be dictated to and guided by the culture. But we do have the ability to participate in political process. Um, elections, campaigns, political activism, community activism. Those are all important things and important ways where Christians can make a difference in yes. the world. And it's not a power over, it, at least it shouldn't be. <laughs> we can still approach all of those things in a power over kind of way, but that's where I think we need to be looking different than the world. We're collaborating, we're influencing, we're speaking, we're modeling, we're living something different actively. Mm. So within that, how can the church speak truth to power without appearing to be engaged in partisan politics? I'll, I'll, I'll just start by making a comment. And it's, <laughs> what, <laughs> speak, you know, Jesus spoke truth to power, right? Jesus uh, confronted Herod at times and, and he stood before Pilate and, and spoke, in fact, in front of Pilate, he, brought the question of truth up and himself as truth. Um, what I'm nervous about when the church says that is that, uh, is that alongside the church wanting to speak truth to power is the fact that every poll I've ever seen, uh, and I'm talking about for the last probably 40 years, that asks the American populace, for those who aren't Christian, why aren't you a Christian? The number one answer is hypocrisy in the church. And so I'm fine, I guess, with the church speaking truth to power, but wouldn't it be nice if we as the church sort of clean, spoke truth to ourselves first? Uh, like, how about, how about instead of me speaking truth to power, I, I let Jesus speak truth to me and, and help me clean my own life up so that when I speak truth to power, the whole world doesn't look at me as just a hypocrite who talks a good game, but whose life is just like everyone else's in this consumeristic culture trying to get my own way. Um, so I'm all for speaking truth to power if we can do it in a non-hypocritical way. And that requires the church to function as a community together to be honest within itself as to its own brokenness, as to our brokenness, and as to how we together could perhaps model this kingdom Jesus is talking about so that when we actually speak truth to an outside power, uh, we have a life that aligns with that word that we're speaking that could be respected. And, and that's, uh, that, that's a ch the tension I feel on that. I, I would agree with Paul on that. The only thing I would add is, um, and I would be careful, so I'm, I'm in agreement, I do think that there are opportunities to speak truth to power. Uh, my, I do have a concern, and my concern is if that is being uh, approached in the way of, of having power over, um, I think is not how we as a church need to operate, um, that we're always trying to make sure that we're um, having power under, going under, supporting. And so speaking truth to power at times could potentially mean that um, you're wrong, you're doing it my way, it must go this way, and that we're going to force you to do that. And as we know, with laws and everything else, that doesn't automatically work, right? So um, that's the only thing that I just had. So speak truth to power. Power under. Power under. That's good. I, I think that's awesome, Cedric. The idea that was coming to my mind as you were talking was, you know, it's one thing to speak truth to power with a capital T and really honestly have the truth backing us up, as mm -hmm. we say it. Yes. It's another thing to speak opinions to power, <laughs> political <laughs> opinions. 
And that's not what we're talking about here. So speaking mm-hmm. truth to power, I think, is exactly what the church is called to do. You look at the Old Testament prophets, that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. They spoke truth that God had spoken to them, and God backed their truth up mm-hmm. to the kings of, of, of Israel and Judah, as well as to the nations around them. But they didn't just speak their opinions to power. And that was the false prophets. Mm-hmm. The false prophets were speaking their own ideas to power, and that just made things worse. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Good distinction. Yeah. <clears throat> well, y'all, this is so good, but this is such a weighty topic. So I wanna, I wanna end on this question. Uh, which I think expresses the heart of a lot of us, including me. I have been so discouraged over the last several months between COVID, politics, racial justice issues. I have no energy and I am just exhausted. Can you give me some advice? (laughs) Amen. We agree. (laughs) And I wish we could all say it will be over as of Wednesday morning. (laughs) um, I'll just start to get the ball rolling, but it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be drained and overwhelmed. And I f- find myself getting there as well. But I think for me, one of the things that helps me be less discouraged and have a little more encouragement is remembering where our ultimate hope is and in the future, um, which isn't in America's destiny, as I said earlier. It's in Jesus and his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that's a guaranteed thing. And so I find myself, it might be just because I'm getting older, <laughs> As I get older, I have more of a sense of the reality of that future kingdom, and it it makes me feel peaceful now. I have hope in that future thing that I know is guaranteed because of King Jesus, Um, and I have, you know, less or more peace now and less anxiety based on how the world is playing out. Even though I know that my calling here as a follower of Jesus is to do my best to bring hope, peace, joy, justice truth here and now, but I know that none of us is going to fully bring that now, um, so I don't feel like it has to happen right now. My ultimate hope is clear, and so that's a little bit how I think I find a way to encourage myself and feel peace now and hope in the future. Uh, I, I would agree with that. I actually would completely agree with what Kevin just said. Um, I, I, I think, to COVID has, this pandemic has just exacerbated everything. And so you have racial uh, racial injustice, and then it's exacerbated. You have issues that are coming up around, I'm just not even going to a, a litany of things, but um, COVID with isolation, it's just, it's just really been bad. And so I think that we need to make sure that we keep um, keep our eyes and go to what Kevin said about our hope in Jesus Christ and and what is to come. But I also think too that what is encouraging to me is to remember that God still has me, he has me here for a reason. He has you here for a reason. All of us are here for a reason. And we can't forget kind of what Paul brought up earlier, which is we are ambassadors and we have a job to do. And even in the middle of very unsettling times that God still has a way of uh, working it out where light still can shine in the middle of darkness. And so I want us to be encouraged that, yes, it looks bleak, it looks terrible, there's a lot of wrong going on, but for whatever reason, my hope is is that God is still weaving in, in some type of way, um, those of us that love him and that are called to his purpose, a way to be able to help and be a blessing to others. And that also brings about hope for me as well, um, that it's not gonna be this way always, and that I'm able to be um, a blessing and at least push forward the kingdom in some small way in the middle of all of this mess. Mm. Absolutely. I, as you were speaking that subject, it just brought to my mind the description as you were giving that. That was the early church. And when you think about the fact that the early, like, how do we find comfort? How do we find peace and encouragement in the midst of just that 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how did the early church find peace when Rome was the empire and it had nothing to do with Jesus. When uh, in the second and third centuries, two plagues we know ripped through the Roman Empire in both the mid-second and mid-third centuries. And these plagues, we don't know if it was bubonic or what type of plague it was, but up to a third of every city died. I mean, like they were uh, uh, 2020 on steroids. And yet we have documentation that these were also our early brothers and sisters who would go into homes of dying people and, and minister to them knowing they might catch it and die. Like they were just, 
they were being ambassadors. They were living out their ambassador calling in the midst of a bleak, bleak world. So I think we can also take, take heart from our, our older brothers and sisters who've lived this before us mm-hmm. and shown us, to Kevin's point, there's a kingdom that's coming mm-hmm. and that all we can do here is be the ambassadors we're called to be as well as we can and then put all of our hope in the king whose kingdom is the only secure place there ever will be. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for sending in your questions. We have a bit of a word of encouragement and final thoughts from Greg to wrap us up. Hello, Woodland Hills. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard that uh, my wife and I, Shelly and I, both have come down with COVID. Uh, We don't know how we got it. We practice masks and social distancing and all the other rules, but it's a contagious bug. What can I say? Um, I'll just say this. Everyone's experience with this bug is different. Uh, it, it runs the spectrum. But uh, in our case, I'll tell you that it has not been a pleasant experience. It's been the weirdest, funkiest virus I've ever had. i tell you, it's you feel good, then you feel terrible, and you feel good. And, oh, man. So anyways, it, yeah, we'll, we'll get through it. But uh, if you can avoid getting this, I would encourage you strongly to do that. And please practice social distancing and all, whatever precautions you can do to uh, keep from getting this, uh, I would encourage you to do that. I, I want to talk with you uh, here in this kind of COVID zone. Um, you got to make do, you know, this is the best I can do. But uh, I, I wanted to, to share a word with you because we're coming upon this uh, election here. And a lot of folks are very anxious and understandably so. Uh, our nation's not in a good place right now. It's we're a powder keg of polarization. And um, some folks are worried about what might happen if this is a contested election and blah, 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 and, and what's gonna, what could go on in the streets and, and, and what could happen to democracy. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's high stakes poker that, that we're playing as a nation. And so in, in, in light of this, I, I just wanted to just give a word uh, as we're heading into this. Um, it comes from John, Gospel of John, uh, verse 27, 1427, where uh, Jesus says, peace, I I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I I just love this passage. Um, My peace, I give to you. You God, God, God has... Uh, a wide range of emotions. We're made in his image, and we have a wide range of emotions, and that reflects something of God. Uh, but one emotion that's never ascribed to God in the Bible is fear or anxiety. Uh, God's never depicted as going, what am I going to do? He's never p- depicted as being out of control. Uh, oh, my gosh, this guy is falling. No, God's a cool cucumber. <laughs> God's got peace. He, he, God's being is characterized by this shalom. And you can see why. I mean, because God has always existed. We can't conceive of that, but try. God never began and will never end. And for being who never began and will never end, any duration of time, however long it may seem to us, is infinitely small because it's measured against this infinite background of never beginning and never ending. So this whole creation is for God experienced like a nanosecond. Now, God goes with us in time, and but given his background as an eternal being, uh, it, it's all, it, it's just a brief nanosecond for God. So God's seen na- nations come and God's seen nations go. That's why in, in, in Isaiah, it says that, that uh, you know, for, for, for God, all the nations in the world, all the armies of the world, all the empires of the, empires of the world, uh, are, they're not even measured as dust in the scale. They just, you know, see, God, God has always been and always will be. And, God's working to achieve certain purposes in this creation, and God's very confident that, that he can pull those off. Uh, he's not a control freak. He gives uh, angels and humans free will. But because he's infinitely smart, uh, he can anticipate every possible decision a free agent can make and has a plan in place for uh, in plan in place in case that decision's made and a way to turn bring good out of evil and to further it uh, to achieve his purposes. So God's totally confident that though human beings can mess up a whole lot of things, angels can mess up a whole lot of things, God's confident God's going to achieve his purposes. He's got that shalom. Uh, we human beings, 
you know, we run around like the, the, the end of the world is coming and we've been doing this throughout history where we, we are anxious and fearful and we try to cling to things that we can't cling to. And, and our life is characterized by anxiety because there's nothing permanent that we can hold on to. And we know that even though our hearts long for something permanent, everything, everything that we touch and see and taste and can hold, we eventually lose. And that's why our hearts are always filled with anxiety. But God is not like that. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's forever unchanging. There's no shadow of turning in him. And uh, he's characterized by peace, shalom, confidence. And Jesus says that that's that peace can be part of our inheritance. It's supposed to be part of our inheritance. My peace, he says, as the one who's fully God and fully human, he says, my peace I give to you. God wants us to have God's own peace. The peace that characterizes God can be ours. And that's why Jesus says that, that he doesn't give peace as the world gives peace. No, if he's given the peace of God, it's an entirely different kind of peace, you guys. Um, see, the peace that the world gives is something like this. I'm right now not anxious because I'm healthy. Uh, this is hypothetical, by the way. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's great that you're, yeah, you're at peace because you have health. But what happens when you lose your health? You lose your peace. Uh, yeah, you, you, you have peace right now because you got a job. And it feels like a pretty stable job. But, you know, jobs come and jobs go sometimes, right? And, and whatever, when you lose that job, you lose that peace. Relationships are so important to us, and, and, and you know, we, we lean on them, and, and they're, they're absolutely crucial. And you can have peace if you have congruity with all your relationships. And what happens when the relationships get funky, or when people change, or when people die? Uh, that peace is, is gone. Uh, you have peace because your finances are doing well, but what happens when the finances aren't doing well? You have peace because the nation's going great? Yeah, fine. But what happens when the nation's not going great? Then your peace goes out the door. And see, the, the kind of peace the world gives is the kind of peace where you have it for a little bit because you're holding on to your health or your finances or your job or what have you. Uh, but on some level, we all know that they're all transitory. They're all temporary. And it will eventually leave us. So even when we have the peace, we don't have peace. There's an underlying anxiety, that, that angst, that knows that eventually you lose everything. The kind of peace that Jesus gives is not like that. Uh, Paul says that the peace of God is a peace that passes all understanding. It passes all understanding because when the human natural understanding, the natural way of looking at the world, when that would be saying, hey, this is about the time you ought to be freaking out because you could lose everything. Uh, well, the world may be freaking out for the, the child of God. If you're anchored in the eternal one, there can be this peace that passes understanding. Your understanding can't even process it, really. It's like, uh, I've got this peace. It's just, it's there. It's because you're tapped into the true source of life. Uh, the peace of God is the kind of peace that comes from being tapped into the true source of life, which is the only fulfilling source of life, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, the peace of God comes from, uh, you know, being related to the eternal one and knowing that you're loved with an eternal, everlasting love. Uh, that gives a peace that passes understanding. The peace of God is the kind of peace that, that comes from, uh, knowing that, that, that you're destined to be dancing with the triune God, sharing in the life of the triune God throughout eternity. The peace, uh, the peace of God uh, that passes understanding, it's, it, it can come to us regardless of how bad things get in this world, regardless of what happens to your health and finances, regardless of what happens to your nation. It can, it's, 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 if God is still there, then the peace can still be there. It's the peace that passes all understanding. Uh, however bad things may get, the peace of God can come to us because we know that in the end, it will all be more than worth it, and the love of God will win. Uh, and if God is confident that God can achieve that purposes, he's not bent out of shape, he's not worried, he does not, he does not get uh, by his nails. Uh, if God's confident, then we can be confident if that is where our full treasure is. But Jesus ends by saying, then don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. Now, here's, here's the thing. We can let our hearts get troubled. Uh, this, this peace of God doesn't happen just magically. We have to invite it in and, and keep on going back to that source and, and, and drinking from that source and not, let, not letting the trouble of the world get on the inside. Yes, you're concerned. How could you not be concerned? But it shouldn't disturb the core of our being because the core of our being is anchored elsewhere. 
we're concerned, but we shouldn't be concerned the way non-believers are concerned. For non-believers, this can be an ultimate concern because this is all they've got. This is what they live for. This is it. They maybe hope that there's something else, but they're not, they don't live in that narrative. And so, of course, they're going to be, their hearts are going to be very troubled. That's not our narrative. Uh, no, we're anchored in the eternal, the eternal triune God. And, 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 and so I encourage us as we're heading into, uh, who knows what's going to happen with this thing, however it goes down, uh, whoever wins, whoever loses, whatever's going on in the streets, you know, stay centered in the eternal one. Get your life from the eternal one through Jesus Christ. And uh, receive that peace that passes all understanding. Uh, we're actually far more effective in being ambassadors in this world when we're doing it out of a center of peace rather than out of a center of, oh my gosh, this guy is falling. Do not let your hearts be troubled. God bless you guys. We'll get through this. Uh, however it goes down, uh, before long, you know it's going to be just fine. <laughs> he wins in the end, and that's, in the end, all that really matters. Uh, God bless you guys. I look forward to, I'm hoping to be back next week. Keep praying for me. Keep praying for Shelly. Uh, we're getting better and we'll get through this. God bless you guys. I love you. Thanks, oh, so, the nails. <laughs> Thanks so much, Greg. And uh, we are praying for you and we are praying for Shelly. Before we let y'all go, just a couple quick reminders. Uh, we've got the MuseCast, so if you still have some burning questions that you are looking to have answered, Shauna and Dan and Oshida dig into those on Tuesdays. Uh, if you would like some prayer right now, we have prayer available after the service. You can go to whchurch.org slash Sunday dash prayer. And also, we've got our gathering group, so if you want to join in with some people and have more discussions about this, they meet at a couple different times, so we'd love to have you there. But we have a big week coming ahead of us. So, Paul, would you lead us in prayer? Absolutely. Pray with me. Father God, as, as Greg just encouraged us, Lord, we, we receive, Lord Jesus, the peace that you said you've given us and leave with us, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. And Lord, as, as we step into that peace this coming week, as our nation enters a very, um, very tense week, Lord God. We ask that we would begin by allowing the, your peace, not, not just a, a sort of surface peace, Lord, but the shalom, the shalom, holistic, deep peace, Lord, that is rooted in right relationship with you and right relationship with each other. Lord God, we ask that each of our hearts would be filled with that peace as we rest in your love and as we Lord, reflect your love. Let our hearts be in that place of peace. Lord, beyond that, we pray for peace in all of our relationships, Father. Peace in our families as we head into the holiday season. Peace in our churches, Lord God, as we live to be your ambassadors. And finally, Lord, we do pray for the peace of this nation, Lord God. We ask, God, that your, your love and your light would guide people Lord, people, as we move and navigate through this next tumultuous season, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.